0: KYW original podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. Would you do me a favor when you're done listening? Would you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast? We need your reviews to take us to the top. Thanks. Now let's get to it.
1: This week, the focus is on when protests turn to riots of rebellion. Yes, there are individuals who are going, in, going into Foot Locker and robbing and Calling for justice for George Floyd.
2: It is one of the most spiritual things I've ever
0: done. Now. The elements behind the destruction in Philadelphia.
3: The windows have been broken They to start the fires. Those things have been created by the white supremacists who have come in.
0: We take a look back and forward at how dissent shifts America. We dig in. Then the stores that turned food deserts into grocery oases have been ravaged by looters. We didn't
4: have equitable protection of our neighborhoods, especially North and West Philly.
0: The owner of Brown ShopRite, the reason behind his speedy rebuild and reopening. We'll be right back.
4: Flashpoint is sponsored
0: by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donorsone.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is mass protests and unrest that has touched every state in America. Thousands of all races and backgrounds have hit the streets calling for justice following the brutal death of George Floyd. But the cries turned into rage as riots and looting broke out across the country on the heels of a pandemic that has highlighted racial disparities and systemic racism. So what's underneath the destruction? And is this act of dissent a bridge to healing? With me to discuss this Flashpoint is Chad Ding. Deion Lassiter, executive director of the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission and an expert on race. We also have Ralph Young, a history professor at Temple University with an expertise in dissent and protest movements in America. We have Reverend Pamela K. Williams, pastor of Arc of Refuge Tabernacle Church. And finally, Frank Mink, recovering skinhead and noted speaker and author. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank Thanks you. for having us. want to kick it off with Chad Dion Lassiter. I mean, can you put what we've seen in the past few days in context?
1: I'll I'll try to put it in context, Um, and for me, it's a historical context. I think people think that it's the most recent aspect of the anthology of police brutality that had another African-American male saying, I can't breathe, similar to Eric Garner, but this is a historical context. Uh, When the mayor of Minnesota says that this is protracted, this is 400 years, what he's talking about is not just 400 years of generational trauma, but he's talking about 400 years of institutional racism, which is prejudice plus power. He's talking about white supremacy. He's talking about white violence and white racism, that oftentimes we avoid those conversations where whiteness provides an opportunity for the mob, but those who actually get mobbed, they have no recourse. And so you bring it into the contemporary area era that we find ourselves in, is the suspicion and the surveilling of black bodies uh, that negates uh, the humanity of black males, as well as brown males and brown females and, 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 and brown uh, African-American women as well. And then what you do is you render these uh, you render black bodies, non-person, non-entity, and then you can dehumanize them in the manner that we see right now.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to bring you in, uh, Frank, because you were on the front lines of some of these protests, not in Philadelphia, but elsewhere. Um, and, and just give us the context of the actual bodies uh, on the streets that are protesting
2: yeah it was it, one of the most spiritual things I've ever done and not even was it the bodies in the protest when you're marching through downtown Los Angeles and every person is out their window chanting banging banging things blowing horns it is one of the most spiritual things I've ever done now and when I got I got arrested for the curfew violation a couple nights ago I was on a bus with men I've never I've been on prison bus before unfortunately. I've never been on one where I've been so proud of my life to be on a brush with men who are truly there. These were not looters. You know, I've seen the looters now and I've seen when it, how it happens. and it, it is an organized thing. There's guys that are coming through. I've watched it happen. But there's so many people that are there for the right reasons. And and, and I got to also say that one times when we say no justice, no peace, I mean, there's got to be something that hurts here right? There's got to be something that hurts. So on this front lines of, of being part of this protest is, is I brought my 16 year old son with me, you know, because he wants to be part of the change. He wants to be part of this history. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got shot at now. We've been shot at twice. We got tear. I got my son got tear gassed. And I already lost a son in a car accident a couple years ago. I'm not going to lose another son, but I'm. we're not going to stop. And I keep telling these, police, I ask cops every day, What's it going to take, boys? What's it going to take, boys? Yeah. And I always go, when well, yous go home, and we always go, we're not going home. Yeah, we're not going home this time. You know what? And I'm going to tell you, I can tell you that the most thing that I think that we could agree on, and, I, and I'm pleased. To just let me explain this. I'll keep it under a minute. But look, the the police union, they're civil servants, and they were meant to be that way in democracy. Well, they're unions and they're weapons unions and their are they uh, you know, the lobbyists have pulled them above us in this society of democracy. They are now above us. And the proof, the pudding is in America is that there is 2.4 million people in prison right now in this country. And we are building private prisons right now as we talk because of the way that yeah. we are policed. So there's the problem. And it's the war on drugs that they use to kick in black people's doors, to search our cars, to bring them fake dogs around us all the time. That's where we got it. And that's what I see the people.
0: I will come yeah. back to this because I want to jump over uh, to you, Pam, because there's a uh, so much rage in communities, so much rage, and I mean uh, Chad kind of put the it in context. Uh, Frank's telling us what's happening on the ground, but I mean we saw the rage acted out in parts of communities. Tell me what you saw because you were there,
3: um, Sherry. Uh, when we talk about what we saw, not only uh, what we saw in the coverage from all of the news media, but what we physically saw ourselves. And when I saw a uh, white male uh, place an incendiary device on the ground in front of a store uh, Mm -hmm. and step back to take pictures of it exploding, I knew that we were at a different place uh, in the protest movement. I knew that it wasn't only us who were there, those who uh, were standing uh, because of the atrocity that happened to George Floyd, but there were others there who were potentially trying to start the negative and violent uh, acts that would take and shift the movement and the protest in another direction. So what, ha- what I saw happening was, even though we had looting, even though we had uh, other negative instances of violence, the case was, there were others there who were provoking violence, who, yeah. were, who
0: were there for the intention of creating violence and negativity. Because there were multiple elements. And we'll come back to this point. And I want to bring Ralph in here because, Ralph, you are studying dissent. Uh, this is your life's work. And so is this just part of what it takes to get some change? Our country was founded on riots and rebellion.
5: That's true. I mean, the, the American Revolution. You had uh, you know the Sons of Liberty protesting about taxes, and they were going out, tarring and feathering uh, 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 you revenue offices from the crown. They were going. They were torching the mansions of the well-to-do uh, loyalists that were living in the colonies. So this is. Kind of, I mean in my Dissent in America courses I teach at Temple, we often talk about, you know, everybody's in favor of nonviolent dissent. Uh, should dissent ever become violent? Well, the Civil War was an act of extreme violence. The American Revolution was an act of violence. So these things have happened in the past. However, the um, I do think that what's going on now is not quite not on really that level. This is, I think most of the demonstrators, most of the protesters are being nonviolent. Mm-hmm. They are not, you know, attempting to create that kind of mayhem. They're, they're attempting to have civil disobedience and disrupt things to call attention to the fact that this situation has become intolerable. We're not going to take it anymore. And so by, you know, you know blocking traffic like they were doing in Philadelphia with the, what, 676. Uh, This is to call attention to everybody, even people who just are not interested in the whole topic, that their lives are going to be disrupted. Now, this is not property violence, property damage, or anything like that. And then the other thing about when people start accusing people who are uh, protesting nonviolently If and when violence breaks out, looting or something, you know, people are calling them hypocrites. But this is not the same thing as killing somebody. Even you know, property damage is not the same thing as holding a knee on the neck for eight, what, how many minutes it was? Five, six, seven minutes.
3: Almost ten.
5: Yeah. and so when you think about it, uh, you know, ultimately, what are a few looted? stores or burned down police stations compared to the looted lives that people have had to endure for so many years in this country.
0: Thank you, Rob. And I wanna thank, and all of you have kind of touched upon the next point that I'd like Chad to pick up because there's multiple elements here. We we understand that there is protest, but there's something else going on as well. There's multiple elements. Can you tell me every, all the layers that exist here uh, and and what we see is this act of of mass protests across the
1: country? I was most certainly uh, try to make an attempt. um, In my role with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, one of our duties is to monitor civil unrest. And so what I've been seeing on the ground last Saturday and Sunday, and what has been trending across the country in various conversations, whether that's with the Department of Justice, uh, community relations, outreach efforts, if that's with the ADL, is that what we're recognizing is that these are white supremacist interlopers, these are Asian provocateurs, these are fascists, these are right-wing individuals who have integrated themselves into an emotional situation. What we've seen here in Philadelphia is it trends with bricks and crowbars being left at various locations, not trying to stereotype or generalize, but a lot of our children are vulnerable, and they just really don't have the emotional intelligence to do something as coordinated as hit eight supermarkets in this catchment area, hit four CVSs in this catchment area, hit this uh, this this area over here for you know Target and things of that nature, and then it trends throughout uh, the Commonwealth, and we have police uh, chiefs in the Commonwealth and throughout the country who are saying that they're starting to also recognize that these are white supremacist interlopers, these are agent provocateurs. What they do is they throw Molly cocktails into the crowd and then they hide behind a sign that says, no justice, no peace or black lives matter. Right. And So that's why it's incumbent upon us to make sure that civil rights veterans, when we move forward out of this, this moment to a movement that we teach young people and others about civil disobedience, nonviolence, you know, protesting, some of the stuff that Ralph teaches so that they can be aware but we got to be fair, though. I mean, I, 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 as someone who was there uh, in South, in West
0: Philly, downtown, it wasn't just it, it, these groups of people are small, okay? But there's there's uh, lots of groups of people who are taking advantage of well, the situation
1: and are looting. I
0: saw people riding around on indigo yeah.
1: bikes. C-cer- certainly, but really? once again, it's yeah. the con- once again, you're right. But once again, it's the context. If you're already a vulnerable population, we're not ridding people of responsibility and blame. It's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's setting up the context. Yes, there are individuals who are going into more it. than just individuals yeah. going into Footlocker and Robin. And when they come back home, their parents and their guardians should say, where did you get that from? There are adults out there as well. But what I'm simply saying is that this is a moment in the undercurrent. Thirty five million people are out of work coronavirus against the backdrop of the virus of hate, and then a moment to seize upon vulnerable populations. I'm not uh, escaping anyone away from the looting that they've done. Yeah, because the agree. looting was serious. And I want Pastor Pam to talk about this, yeah.
0: because what impact, I mean, because, yeah, somebody started it. Yes. Once the doors are cracked open, all the kids ran in. But the bottom line is these are the kids who live there, a lot of them, and live nearby. What kind of impact and pain does that cause? on on these communities.
3: I wanna piggyback on what Chad said, Sherry, because it is essential for us to know and very important that there's a small minority of individuals who who have created the atmosphere for these young people and older adults too, I don't excuse any bracket, but older adults <laughs> to go in and start the looting. But when the windows are broken and, and and the chief police around the country have said that the windows have been broken, that the, uh, uh, the setups to start the fires have been already produced, those things have been created by the white supremacists who have come in to make it appear that we are, that the protesters are essentially violent. And here also we have to remember that we're dealing with a vulnerable population. We're dealing with a population who has been inside the house because of the coronavirus. We're dealing with a population who is inadequately educated. We're dealing with a population who has disparity in healthcare. We're dealing with a population who are living in homes now co- continually with abuse, not only sexual, but economic and 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 food and everything else. So here we really have a ball that is waiting to explode. So if you give them the opportunity to lash out or to speak out or to act out, then they're going to take advantage of that opportunity. And I think I think so highly that that is what happened during
0: some of the looting. And I got to follow up to you, Pastor Pam, though, because I did see people, uh, older residents, yelling at the younger residents for falling into the trap. Right. And and think about it, Sherry, if we will, all of us for a minute, how it
3: affects the communities that have been looted, whose, whose, whose supermarkets have been taken away. So here we have set up a pyramid effect that it does not affect the people who started it. It doesn't affect them. It affects us. So we lose. And then what happens after all of this is said and done, we still have the fact of gentrification in our, in our impoverished neighborhoods. So we allow, we're setting up a scenario for people to come in and, and, and almost absolute devastate our neighborhoods for the cause of development and the cause of moving into a different uh, mindset of what we want to do for our communities.
0: Yeah. And so Frank, I want to bring you back in here uh, because I mean, this is a conversation. This is a conversation that I think we have to have uh, nationally uh, across an integrated conversation. Is this the time? Is it going to happen now? Because I ask a lot of white folks are paying attention now to the disparities. People are noticing things now that was ignored. Are are folks going to step in? and, And is it time to have this integrated discussion?
2: This this is the time. This is now. See, what happened was for so long, so many white people got into the safety rafts and they pulled the ladder out of the water. And now it's enough time for us to put the ladder back into the water to get everyone into this this lifeboat with us all. Right. We have to be there to get us all in this lifeboat. We can do this. Like we truly can do this as human beings. And 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 I'm I'm going to tell you that, again, there is laws, and I know of neo-Nazis. In fact, there's a, a Rolling Stone article coming out very soon about a lot of neo-Nazis who hung around me who became cops, right, that are active cops. And so and some of them say they change. Some don't really say anything at all. Uh, but I know that the scary part is, is that they're the one that are kicking in the door because they think you're selling, you know, cocaine out, the, you know, so they're kicking your, your door. And now, look, they've been over. I want to remind you now, please, the cops, a lot of them, especially the white male cops, they come from usually suburban neighborhoods. They come from the white flight era, you know, the big white flight era to get out to the suburbs. Now they're raised out there, fear the black neighborhood. They go off to war because they joined the military, come home, and now they're cops. And they still fear the black neighborhood from when they lived in the suburbs. And now we're telling them to go patrol the neighborhoods. And now they have the military training, but they're still fearful in their heart they are fearful of the black man. That's why they put hands on first. First thing they do in a coming situation, put hands on a black man. Put him down because he might get crazy, right? In fact, everyone on the screen, I'm the one that would get crazy if the cops come, right? Yeah. Not any of you. So, I mean, but that is the way that this the cops are set up. You have these people that fear the black people, and now you're telling them to go patrol their neighborhoods. Yeah. And now they're going to show that they're not afraid no more. And how That's do they do that by putting their knee on it, putting their knee on the neck.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I want Ralph to come back in here because there's always uh, there's always something that lights the match in every uh, major act of rebellion uh, throughout history. And um, this this George Floyd video, I mean, it, it came on the. I mean, and we set the context. There was a pandemic. There was a mullet arbory. There was Brianna Taylor. This has been on the. It was kind of leading up to something. Um, uh, something major. Uh, and it seems like this was the spark that started everything. So, how do we how do we take something like a major descent and and, and move it to some place different, uh, based on what you've seen in history?
5: Well, I think you know, in the current situation. One of the things that I find actually heartening about it is that so many white people are involved in the protests, and when whites become as outraged as African Americans about the systemic racism, then I think there's going to be hope. And and and, it, and and if they're not outraged, I don't think there is going to be hope. Everybody's going to be outraged about this. One of the things I I think about a lot is that you know. In the United States, in the 400 years of racism, you know, going from slavery through Jim Crow and all of this, there have been three moments in our history when African Americans made a significant advance, and each of those moments has been followed by a white backlash. That first moment, of course, was the ending of slavery after the yes. Civil War, and you had the, what is called the First Reconstruction where Jim Crow laws and literacy tests and poll taxes come in and African-Americans are forced into second-class citizenship, lynchings, you know, thousands and thousands of lynchings over those years. Then the next advance was the Civil Rights Movement and the Civil Rights Bill and the Voting Rights Act. And the backlash against that was the war on crime, the war on drugs, the mass incarceration situation that we've seen and then the third big advance of course was the election of a black president and the white backlash to that is what has been going on with the 2016 election and the, and the fact that we have a commander in chief who is incentivizing racism bigotry and anti-semitism and so all of this take this with the fact that we have uh, the internet and YouTube and iPhones and smartphones and people are videotaping these things, which have been going on for decades, but now it's available to everybody to see. And the fact that we have a pandemic and a lot of people are not working. They're, they're out of work. They're, they're yeah. at home. And, hey, I have time to go out and participate in a demonstration for the first time in my life. So throw all of this together And and to me, this is kind of the the really big picture overview, historical
0: overview of it. And this is like the perfect time for a protest because you're right, people are home, people have time. And I got to shift gears a little bit, Chad, because I want to take it locally in Philly because for years, people have been asking and demanding that that statue of Frank Rizzo be taken down. There were excuses thrown as to why it couldn't happen. And all of a sudden, Riots erupt, burning happens, looting happens, and they were able to take the statue down in a day. What message does this send to people? Well,
1: I think for. I think for activists, they, they would look at the message as, yo, we, we have a victory. But for me, it's so much bigger than the symbolism of a statue. The Frank Rizzo statue has been removed, but we still receive the Frank Rizzo uh, behaviors with some of these yes. cops that have infiltrated the police department. The FBI, uh, four or five years ago, put out a report that white nationalists and white extremists we're going to be infiltrating the armed services as well as police departments. So yes, it feels good that the Frank Rizzo statue is going and those things are great, but. What we're talking about is the mere fact that racism is permanent. It's not the job of the oppressed to dismantle American white racism. It's the job of the oppressor. And so what we need is coalition building, but we also need for whites to use their white privilege to alleviate the suffering of black and brown people. And so the Frank Rizzo statue is going today. And then throughout the summer, we might have the anthology of police brutality still continuing in communities because they view Black bodies as disposable in Philadelphia in our democracy, and to make people feel good. Not all police officers, but a vast majority of them.
0: Oh, I, I, you know, and I, we can debate over how how many, but there's definitely definitely that element. And I got to ask you this though: Does it show that Taryn thinks like that? You that being nice? Does it say that being nice and peaceful doesn't work? Pam, Pam does it say? Does the fact that Writing had to happen and they could do it in a day versus peace campaigns and all of these nice ways. Petitions you get a let's, no, 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 you get a yes when you when they light the fire. Let's look at Proverbs, and Proverbs tells us to speak up for
3: those who cannot speak for themselves and to ensure justice for those who are being crushed. It is our responsibility as human beings to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. So when we look at rioting, when we look at uh, uh, all of these uh, uh, protests, we have to understand that there is a segment of population who are voiceless, who don't have the power, who don't have the intellect, who don't have the abilities to go out there and to speak up for themselves. So we have to recognize, and let's get back to the Rizzo statue. And, and remember, Frank Rizzo was a friend of uh, our families. So uh, and my mother was one of his uh, confidants. But Mm. what we have to look at is back to what Chad says. The statue may have been removed, but the mentality still exists in every part of government in Philadelphia and also in the police department. So removing the statue was symbolic of just of just removing a wonderful piece that an artist created. But what do we do about systematic uh, uh, racism that this exists? city of Philadelphia. We have people in Fishtown carrying bats in the middle of the street. Right. We have others who who, who the mayor made a, a curfew, who are standing in front of Target, protecting Target, which is a part of the South uh, South Philly, and you have guns. But yet we are not arresting them, but you go to 22nd and Lehigh, and we have photos of police officers knocking children and young people outside the head with batons. So we have to look at the whole broad picture That's of right. really where philadelphia is instead of focusing and being distracted on a, on a on a statue who nobody really cared about
0: anyway in reality and 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 frank because i know frank is from uh, philly
2: yeah, so south, is. South, south philly south philly southwest i grew up in south my dad had a bar in southwest up on woodland avenue so i grew up there most of my whole i went to pepper middle school don't get me
0: started
3: by Pepper. Um
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, right, but, you know so here, here's
0: what I'm going through. I gotta ask you this though, Frank. Doesn't it, does it surprise you that we had lots of resources deployed to Center City, downtown, and less resources to the neighborhood, which is probably why South Philly felt like they had to do what they had to do, why West Philly was was ravaged, why North Philly was ravaged. Does it surprise you and your thoughts on that, that disbursement of resources for protection?
2: I want to actually bring it back just a little bit was, I've been around the world as many of you might be, and there's something you can bring up to people that people have no idea about, and that is the move bombing. Have you ever noticed that? If you talk to anyone outside, they they have no idea about that incident.
0: Yeah. Talk about having to bring
2: in, you know, the right things. We blew up a whole city block of black people's houses and it's still, people don't even know about it. It's not even history. Yep. And what if that was white people's houses, if you would have did that down on, say, like, you know, in thank Philly, <laughs> Philly that's what I like to say when you said it for me. If you would do that in South Philly, that would have been national. I mean, that would have been a world mm-hmm. but it wasn't. So we have to look at all of that, that it doesn't matter to some people. And it's going to start mattering. We're not stopping this until it matters anymore. And I mean, that's what we have to do to get through this. We have to do it together. We Need us.
5: Have to. We're made to
2: be communal communal people. That's why we don't have fangs to kill each other with. Yeah. I mean, because we're made to stick together to make work this thing out. And racism, the way we have it now, I just see it. Two hundred years from now, we're all going to look like Holly Barry and Derek Jeter. We ain't going to know which color we are, and we're going to get along a lot better. And you know what I mean? It's just going to be a way to because it's naturally going to happen because some Mother Earth and God our Father. It's yeah,
0: and nature likes diversity, right? Nature likes right. diversity. So Ralph, we I'm gonna ask you the last question before we wrap up. I mean, how do I mean? You've seen it happen where we patched it back together after breaking everything up. We patched it back together multiple times in this country. Can we do that here? Is this one of those times where it's splintered and we're going to patch it back?
5: Um, Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, I think I do think that things will get better. Hopefully, people go out and vote this year and. Somehow, we get a, a new administration in, in Washington that is not afraid to take on these existential crises in a way that brings the American people together. Yeah. And this is, you know, kind of the hope of those of us who think of ourselves as liberal or progressive. Uh, but you know, I think we have to have some kind of hope to hang our hat on too.
0: Yeah, we definitely need some hope. And with that, uh, because this is a flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. How do we use this momentum? to bring change and unity to the country. We wanna get, have that silver lining be the thing we focus on in on. And so, Chad, we'll start with you and uh, we'll end with you, Ralph. How do we do that?
1: Well, I'ma be brief and then I'ma pass it over to Pastor Pam because I think she <laughs> can finish the rest. I'm just gonna <laughs> simply say, if my people who are well, called by my name and, name and the Pastor Pam can finish it. will humble themselves
3: and seek and pray and seek my face. Then will I hear from heaven and I will hear each and every one of their prayers. And I want to add this, something that Frederick Otto Hurt said. He said at the heart of racism is the religious assertion that God made a creative mistake when he brought some people into being. We are not a mistake. We are all created in the image of God, which makes us all brothers and sisters. Go
2: ahead, Frank. All right. Uh, look, I at one time believed the thought process that because of the color of my skin, I was more superior than another human being. Now, to me, saying that now sounds like the most idiotic thought process that I could have ever believed, and is actually one of the most laziest things I could ever believe: is that I was superior because of the color of my skin, because I did nothing to achieve this color. I did nothing. I did not get a degree, right? So, if I take that fear that I had, and that's all this is—racism is just frant up fear—and if you can take that fear and you turn it into empathy, is when you will stop putting your knee on people's necks. That's when you get rid of that fear and you, put, you get rid of the poison and you got to put something in you, and that's empathy. And you do that, you'll stop putting your knee on people's necks and be humble and be our humble servants. Be our, be our humble civil servants to us.
0: Final yeah. word. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, you know, uh, in
5: 1967, I saw Stokely Carmichael give a speech at Michigan State University when I was a student there. And he had a question and answer period, and one of the white students got up and says, you know, I agree with everything you're saying about Black Power, but you say you don't want whites involved in the civil rights movement, in the Black Power movement. So what can us who are sympathetic to this and who believe in what you're saying, how can we help? And I loved his answer. He said, instead of coming into the Black community and trying to help us, Go into the white community and civilize. Mm.
0: Thank you so much to Chad Dion Lasseter, to Ralph Young, to Reverend Pamela Williams, and to Frank Meek for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news.
2: Thank you for the much opportunity. Much love. Much love. Thank, you, for Thank having. you all.
0: Next up, ravaged by looters, his stores bring fresh food to former food deserts. We needed a different
4: level of protection.
0: The owner of Brown Shoprite rebuilds and reopens why he says there's no anger at the destruction. We'll be right back. Hey, Flashpoint family, if you like what you hear, Why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras. One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our past newsmaker of the week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early all of this and more please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review now back to the show welcome back to flashpoint i'm cherry Gregg. our newsmaker of the week is brown shoprite parkside in west philadelphia and brown shoprite fox street in north philadelphia looters are said to have ravaged the stores for hours taking whatever they wanted from the pharmacy and liquor departments both locations were severely damaged as a city dealt with fires, looting, and unrest. So what will be the impact, short and long term? With me to discuss this Flashpoint is Jeffrey Brown, owner of Brown ShopRite. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks,
4: Sherry. Thanks for having me.
0: So today, I know it's just been a couple of days. How are you guys doing over at Brown ShopRite?
4: Well, um, we're not deterred. We have a purpose um, that's a little different than than, uh, an average business. And we, we know when we're in West Philly and North Philly, we're there to be a service and help people. And uh, we, we don't blame the community for what happened. And, and uh, we're rebuilding.
0: Yeah. And um, tell me, first of all, just describe the damage that was done. What did you
4: find when you showed up? Yeah. So um, in the Parkside store, um, we had closed early at the police's direction uh, because of the curfew. And shortly after us closing, um, the first looters started to break in and we had security in the store. We're getting calls and saying the looters are breaking in. And uh, we started calling the police like at three thirty and we continued to call the police straight through the night to the next morning. And and no, no police ever came. And so the looters in that store had 15 hours to just destroy the place. And they destroyed all the computers, the registers, the cameras, they smashed all the windows, they busted liquor bottles, and they just really tore the store up in addition to, to stealing everything valuable.
0: Wow. And so what was what were you all told? The police you called the police. Why why did no one show up?
4: Well, they told us that they weren't in a position to help. And um it probably the most that's the most unsettling part because you always assume in your greatest time of need that the police will be there for you. I mean, I always just assume that I'd never think that there's a chance that, you know, uh, if we're under attack uh, viciously, that they would never come. I would never think that. And so it's very unsettling. Um, And then by 10 o'clock, the, you know, a different group of looters broke into the Fox street store and started to do the same thing there, um, which the damage wasn't as bad because we did get, Ultimately, we did get a little police assistance in that store. And unfortunately, the next day, same thing happened again. Um, By the next day, uh, they had more aggressive looters. And one of the looters actually took his truck. And even though we boarded up the store, smashed through the first set of doors and then used his truck to smash through the second set of doors and, and just ravage that store.
0: Yeah. And if you were to estimate the damage, how serious is it?
4: In millions of dollars. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, every computer was destroyed. Every register, the self checkouts, they they destroyed the safes. I don't think they could get into the safes, but um, they busted into the the uh, ca- the uh, bookkeeping office and destroyed everything. The security office, so the damage was really bad.
0: Yeah, and um, just describe what these Shoprite stores mean to this community is. As- as far as providing access to the residents who live there?
4: So um, our food desert work, it really has been a journey. Um, We know that grocery stores weren't successful almost anywhere in the country. And we really thought that it was wrong that any American would live without access to food, healthy food, affordable food. And so we work with the communities from the early stages of the problems they had and what we could do. And we designed these stores together with the community and we built these stores. The Parkside store is just celebrating its 13th year. Uh, it's 13th anniversary. The Fox street store is is uh, seven and a half years old. And we've done this together. And And I know it sounds odd for a business to say, but we have a loving relationship a mutually loving relationship with both of these communities in West Philly and North Philly. And uh, it's heartbreaking not for the damage to the store and the money. It's heartbreaking that after all this work and all this time, and everybody did everything as right as could be done. I mean, I think we're this work of these two stores is a national example um, to the world of what could be done, you know, with unity. And to see them destroy and close is heartbreaking for the people in that community.
0: Yeah. And you, you mentioned that, um, you know, that Brown ShopRite would reopen both stores
4: yeah, um, as soon as we got over the shock of of uh, not just the stores being looted and destroyed, but but not get not being able to rely on the police, um we decided that we can't let that deter us, that that uh, we have a purpose here to serve those communities, and we need to rebuild and we need to rebuild quickly. And so we immediately started working um, uh, three shifts a day, twenty four hours a day. Um, uh, cleaning up and rebuilding those stores. And, you know, they smashed all our equipment, so we need new equipment. And uh, many people helped us to get equipment that otherwise would take many months to get. And we plan to open the Parkside store uh, Friday. Um, to, it's a miracle. And uh, we, we are gonna have uh, um, a program, a service a prayer with local clergy um, at ten a.m. on Friday, um, to pray for the country and the city, and uh, and what happened, and the blessing we have that we could recover from it, and then on Monday uh, we're going to do the same for the Parkside store. So by Monday, both stores will be reopened.
0: Yeah, and um, what do you think this says? I mean, this is this is a level of trust because you're you're trusting that this won't happen
4: again. Well. Um, You know, when people are very upset and I don't think that I don't think it's people from necessarily the communities I serve, but people are upset in general and I'm upset. We're all we're all upset Um, because I think there's a disbelief that at 2020, we're still dealing with these kind of uh, really unacceptable behaviors of what's going on in our society. Uh, We needed a different level of protection. And uh, we, we had asked for protection for the National Guard. And over in the Parkside store, we did get that. Um, and I think we needed that for people to reflect on the situation, to have their time to grieve. And uh, look, the fact of the matter is we're all human and we need to eat. And we just can't have a situation where people don't have access to food. And so we're hoping that the National Guard um, can leave uh, by Tuesday and that we could go back to some sort of new normal in servicing our customers.
0: Yeah, and so is that what is protecting uh, those locations at this point, the National Guard?
4: Yes, in Parkside, it's mostly the National Guard. Um, Right now, the police are protecting Fox Street, and we do hope uh, by this evening, the National Guard will be protecting that location as well. And we're hoping that this is a very short-term thing that uh, by Tuesday, that we won't need that anymore.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, And so now the goal is to reopen both stores. Do you have any understanding of why people were so angry that they did these type of thing, not just to Brown Shop, right, but to a number of stores in that Park West shopping center, as well as all along the 52nd Street Corridor, 50, uh, the 60th Street Corridor as well?
4: Well, um, I think... I think there were decision ma- decisions made, and I don't think I'm saying anything that people don't know. You could see it on every TV station that that uh, Center City was overly protected. Um, City Hall and the Municipal Building um, and West Philly and North Philly didn't get the protection they needed. And I, I'm not a backseat driver pointing fingers uh, in that I know that we, we had a lot of problems uh, recently and the police department was overtaxed. But the fact of the matter is that these neighborhoods didn't get the protection and assistance they needed. And that resulted in a massive destruction of of way more than my business. You're right, 52nd Street, nearly every store is destroyed. And at a time where we have unemployment that's greater than the Great Depression, and to see these stores destroyed, my fear is that, that they won't reopen and that uh, the impact on employment and 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 even just our life doing the everyday things that we're accustomed to doing is going to be effective for some time to come. And so I do think we we need to come together as a community and figure out how we could help these businesses restore and reopen.
0: Yeah. And that issue of us overprotecting a part of the city and ignoring the other part is I think something that was highlighted in the situation Uh, And partly part of the anger that people feel uh, about the way um, just systems are set up, because you have, you know, we'll protect all the wealth downtown and we know who lives in these other neighborhoods. And you are one of the people servicing those neighborhoods.
4: Yep. Um, I I think this whole this whole traumatic experience is about inequities. And uh, in a city that's predominantly African-American and you would think more sensitive to that uh, for whatever reason. And and I, when this settles down, I would like to understand the reason Uh, we we didn't have equitable protection of our neighborhoods, especially North and West Philly. And I find it very disturbing and I don't find it acceptable. And and I do think there's, once we're done our period of mourning, and once we start to open up the, the, the businesses that are really a lifeline for our communities, I do think we have to understand why did this happen. What did we learn from it, and how can we fix this so we never have this again?
0: Yeah, and so you said that there has been a saving grace, though, something that has made you feel this glimmer of hope that brown shop rights can move forward. And what has that been?
4: So um, as, as soon as this happened, I started to get emails, texts, and an overwhelming amount of responses on social media. Share, sharing a lot of love for my work over the years. And of course I've been in business 32 years and there's been challenges over the 32 years. What, what we do is harder. Um, it, is, it is harder and things go wrong in a much bigger way in, in some of the neighborhoods I serve. And uh, a lot of the people spent the time to recite all of the positive things we've done and how we're always there for them and how unlivable their communities are without us there. And uh, I just felt the unity between our work and our uh, the communities we serve. And that really is a great strength for me to know that we're in it together, even though something really, really horrible has happened to all of us. Um, I had the sense that there's no way we can't figure out together how to make this, you know, what it should be.
0: Yeah. And I have to say, you know, going over, I missed the press conference with the mayor uh, and um, and and the, commi- you know, police commissioner outlaw. But I was, I went there and I got there after that. Folks were cleaning up. They were there right early. Somebody tagged me in a live stream uh, where folks were outside of Brown Shop, right in Parkside. They were doing the work, had brooms, had trucks. They were doing they clean. They helped you clean it up.
4: They did. Um, We we had hundreds of people show up to help us clean up the Parkside store. And the truth of the matter is people wanted to do more than we could even manage. Um, uh, The overwhelming love and support has been incredible. And it makes me feel that any any small sacrifice we've made is worth it because the people I serve appreciated and they're they're there for me at our time of need.
0: Yeah, and I saw that. I mean, do you think there is a silver lining to all of this? Because I mean, we've been double whammied. Uh, this city, this country, has been double whammied. First, we had you know COVID nineteen, uh, which threw us all for a loop. Then we have uh, you know we get traumatized with multiple killings of black people. <laughs> um, and, and then you see the George Floyd situation and that erupts. And then we have looting and rioting in our communities, which is like a double, triple, quadruple wham- whammy for black communities. Is there like a silver lining of hope here? I, I, th-
4: I think there is. Um, th- the way I see it, um, there's been a lot of neglect in black communities. And there have been, um, lo- been a lot of inappropriate behavior. Like I think we all understand things go wrong. We all understand that some decisions are made with good intentions that don't have good outcomes, but some of the things that go wrong have been in the design of how we do things, and it's structural and I think there's a recognition that this is not this just cannot go on like this. Now that doesn't mean tomorrow morning all of all of our problems are gone, but I, I think there is an incredible recognition that we need to work harder to change a lot of structural things from criminal justice reform, uh, re-entry, education. I mean, th- these are things that, that are complex, but have been broken for very long and need really, really smart, thoughtful change to get us going in a better direction.
0: Yeah, I gotta ask you this. Are you angry at all about the
4: destruction? I'm oddly, I'm oddly not angry. Um, I'm actually oddly thankful. Thankful in the sense that uh, I'm given the ability to to recover, you know, and and my team is behind me, my community is behind me. And the way I look at it, um, things out of our control happened to cause this, and uh, we can recover from it because there's a chance maybe we wouldn't have been able to recover for it. And I'm thankful for that chance uh, that we can recover And I just want to go back to doing what I'm meant to do and serve my communities.
0: Yeah. And so I'm hoping that the jobs that were there before will come back.
4: Yeah. um, Well, let me say that um, we have protected all our employees as we also have during the COVID crisis. Um, Some people are frazzled and didn't want to work, but the people that did want to work, we found them jobs throughout our company to protect their income. Uh, the, the employees are, are have their jobs helping clean up the store. And you know we plan to bring back every employee um, in both stores. And, and assuming the business comes back, and I think it will, um, they, they'll be protected. Um, the other thing is uh, because the stores didn't operate for extended period of time, we had a lot of fresh merchandise that was gonna go bad. And we took all the fresh merchandise from both of those stores and we donated it to share uh, to distribute in, in, in both of those areas because we know that, that our customers don't have access to food, and so hopefully that will help hold them over until we could get the stores open. The other thing is uh, those two stores had pharmacies that were destroyed. And uh, what, what is really, really frightening is a lot of pharmacies in Philadelphia were destroyed. And if you think about it, how would an older person that's homebound get their medicine to stay alive? And so one of the things that I'm working with uh, Curtis Jones on is uh, we have three pharmacies in the city that weren't destroyed. And I make this offer to all, all, all people in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, if you want to transfer your prescriptions to my three existing stores in Roxborough, Island Avenue, and Cheltenham, we will fill your prescriptions and we will pay for the cost to deliver it to every citizen in Philadelphia that needs that help.
0: Wow. That's a generous offer. Uh, And, and, you know, this is a tough time for everybody. This is a tough time for everybody. And so how can people support you?
4: Well, I make my living when they come and buy groceries from me. Um, And if uh, if my customers could return, if people could could uh, shop at my stores, that that helps me. Um, The other thing is it's funny how connected we are. It's not funny. It's an unrecognized truth. Things divide us, but we're still connected whether we think we're divided or not. And the damage that was done to Philadelphia is going to hurt all of us. And uh, some colleagues and I have set up the PA 30 Day Fund. Mm. We have a website, pa30dayfund.com. And uh, we set this up originally to help businesses, especially minority businesses in Philadelphia, reopen their businesses um, from the shutdown uh, uh, from COVID. But now we have a shutdown for another reason. And so whether it's a COVID shutdown or you've been vandalized and your store has been destroyed, uh, this fund is um, has a simplistic application, not a government application, very simplistic um, with re- very small requirements that you could apply and get up to a $3,000 refundable loan, uh, a forgivable loan uh, to help you get your business back open. And I would hope that some people take advantage of that and get their businesses back open. And I would also hope that people that that have the means would contribute to this and help us restore Philadelphia's neighborhoods.
0: Wonderful, and this is definitely a step that I think uh, will help some of these businesses. I had the chance to go down 52nd Street and I talked to a number of the business owners that had had their businesses destroyed. Some of them have been there for 20 years, you know, and they're devastated, yeah. But
4: I'm I'm sorry if I could just say something else. uh, We funded the first 75 businesses already, and we've raised a half a million dollars. And so I had occasion to talk to a lot of the business we funded. And you know, it's just not jobs and it's just not services. I mean, if you, if you have a business in West Philly and North Philly, um, you have responsibilities for the community and you take care of that in ways that many people don't understand. Like there's a barber on North, North Broad we helped out. He cuts the hair of the homeless, children that can't afford a haircut that are going back to school. He cuts their hair for free. So we didn't just lose the jobs, the taxes, and we didn't just lose the services. We lost a, an ally in supporting the community. And to me, it's unacceptable to let that barber not reopen. Any final words, uh, Jeff, as we wrap up? We're in this together. I'm a member of these communities, and um, I just want everyone to know we're in it together. Whatever happens, we're going to figure out how to move forward in a positive way.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jeffrey Brown, owner of Brown Rights. Thank you, Sherry. Next up, she's handing out free posters with the hope they'll start a conversation.
6: And it kind of just makes you really think
0: about things. Terry Hope Business's effort to build bridges when it comes to race. We'll be right back. back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community, and a local company is making it their mission to encourage conversations about race by giving away free posters with the words Black Lives Matter. Here to tell us more about this mission is our Patriot Home Care Changemaker and owner of M3 printing, Christine Ramos Carr. Welcome to Flashpoint, Christine. You guys are doing what? Right
6: so now? what we're doing is we um are printing and distributing Black Lives Matter posters that people can hang in. We're thinking putting your front window. Um what our idea was we were seeing the blackout yesterday and I was I thought, oh wow, that's a good idea. Like that's a great idea. It really did make me take a second when I was scrolling through my IG like I usually do. And I, instead of, like, looking at the nonsense I hook at, I really kind of took a second to, you know, think about what is going on, even though it has been a topic in our households, you know, for the past week or more. Um, and I said, well, maybe we can do something like this. What if we saw, like, that poster in everybody's window when you went on a walk, when you're driving through the city, and just saw it over and over and over again. And it kind of just makes you really think about things. It doesn't just fall away after a week or so after this is all done and everybody goes back to their normal lives. So yeah. we thought let's start passing them out and see what happens.
7: And why is this? Why do you think this would be uh just tell me your personal reasons. Like when you see this, um, what did, how does it make you feel that, that sign? Um. Well,
6: so when I saw the sign, I feel like it. first of all, my husband's black and white. I'm Puerto Rican. We're a very mixed household. To me, it's not anything new. It's something we constantly are talking about my which I think a lot of my black and brown friends, we do, we talk about it all the time, but maybe seeing something like a sign, it'll make other people talk about it more and more and just not make it taboo, make it more easy to talk about it. I was talking with one of my white girlfriends last night and she's like, You know, I don't even know how to broach the subject sometimes. I don't bring it up. It's not that I'm not consciously thinking about it. I just don't even know what to say or how to go about it. So maybe a a reminder, seeing this image, I don't know, makes it a little easier for somebody. Yeah.
7: I have so many of my white friends who I love. They felt felt like they wanted to call me and say something, and they don't know what to do. Do you think this is, like, a way for them to – because people want to do something. Do you feel like they could do to kind of show solidarity in a way?
6: Right. I think this is at least doing something showing that like this household, you know, we support Black Lives Matter. When you see it, you're gonna see it in front of our house, you're gonna see it in our window.
7: And um and so you're doing this and tell me you're providing these posters, right?
6: Yeah, so um what what you have to do is you just go to the link on our website, um, put in your info, how many you need and then you can swing by and pick them up by the end of the day. Why is this a personal mission for you to get this done? Um, for us, I think, number one, you know, we are a business in the city, so I feel like this is a great way for us to give back. Um, and personally, like I said, I, I we've been affected. I mean, I've felt a little bit, you know, i felt the discrimination here and there. I can't say I have felt it like some of these other people have, the stories I've heard, but I've felt it a little, you know, I, I've, I've, I've seen that extra look. Um, it's funny. I was telling my husband the other day, he wanted to go somewhere. And, um, and he was like, come on, let's go. And I said, hold on, I got to get myself together. He's like, ah, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, you know what? It's weird to me. It kind of does matter because I feel like because I'm a little darker skinned, because like I got to look a little bit even more presentable because, number one, I'm being judged on how I look. But then I also have to, like, not be looking crazy when I'm out in the streets because I feel like I'm looked at even worse, which is horrible to say. And he was like, I've never thought of it that way. And, I don't know, it's just brought up a whole lot. This whole thing's brought up a whole lot. Yeah.
7: And I know that people want to have these conversations about race. I feel, like the, I feel like in a way, like you said, that having a, a Black Lives Matter sign allows non black people to start a conversation about race in a very easy way.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: Are you right. hoping that's what it does?
6: I hope that is what it does. I mean bring the topic up. Bring it up with your neighbor or your friend. Don't be scared to make that phone call. Uh you know, there there's there's a there's a positive way to go about it. And I know I'm willing to listen and talk about it and I, I know a lot of other people are. We just we just gotta be don't be scared. Don't be scared and bring it up. Yeah.
7: yeah, And and that's the thing. Like, I feel like the only way uh, we're going to move this country and this conversation forward is by opening the door for people to have these discussions and to not feel like they're going to trip up or say anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we got to, because if you don't ask the question and you hold it, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I think this is a good idea. Um, sure. uh, mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to add, Christine?
6: Uh, no, what I can do, like I said, I, I can share the site with you again, the the link if you want to put it out there. Um, and, you know, we we're, we're here. If anyone has any other type of um, posters that they would want to get printed up, definitely reach out to us. Give us a call. You know, whatever we can do to, to get the word out there and, and get people talking.
0: Are you disappointed in the timing of your home care paycheck or are you being paid at all? Call Patriot Home Care today and know that your paycheck will arrive on time and that you'll be well paid. As a leading home care provider in Pennsylvania, Patriot offers the most comprehensive benefits package in the state. You can qualify for free health care, 401k retirement benefits, paid sick time and vacations and time and a half pay for holidays. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can call Patriot Home Care today at 877-535-5550. That's 877-535-5550. Again, it's 877-535-5550. Flashpoint is produced by Cherry Gregg and associate producer Ariane Fulcher. Thanks for listening. That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As abolitionist and civil rights leader Frederick Douglass once said, the thing worse than rebellion is the thing that causes rebellion. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.